Okay, welcome to the first episode of the podcast we are calling The Heart of Town. Uh, it's a podcast dedicated to listening to, talking about, analyzing, maybe further understanding, but definitely enjoying the music of the Grateful Dead. And whether you're a casual fan of the Dead or a, a new fan or a lifelong traveler who toured with them, I hope uh, to share some thoughts that only add to and increase your interest and enjoyment of, uh, of this fantastic music. So uh, my name is Kerry Cohen. I'm your host and creator of this podcast. My qualifications for doing this are not very important because, uh, you know, enjoyment of music is mostly subjective and anyone is really qualified as me to share their thoughts or perspective on what makes this music or any music great or, or in, enjoyable to them. So I do have, you know, a history of, of playing music and studying and playing the music of The Grateful Dead that has led to some incredible opportunities and experiences for me, but that does not make me an expert in any way. It just makes me someone who has a really heightened interest in sharing the way I hear this music, uh, something I think a lot of us like to talk about uh, to, to no end. And so, uh, and so a podcast is born to do that. And I'd like to start uh, by doing it with a show I've thought of as really one of the best I've ever heard, and in particular one, one song, The Loser, from the show, from the first set of the show, uh, really captures so much about what I think makes this music special. It's from the uh, uh, March 24th, 1990 show at the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York. And most of the show is available uh, on the, the Downhill From Downhill from Here release that the Grateful Dead uh, officially released. And uh, it's a mystery to me why they actually did not include this loser on the, uh, on the album because it's really just kind of a highlight of the first set, and they, they included most of the rest of the first set from this night, and then comes the loser, and boom, they switch to a, a different song from a different night. So I, I posted a version of this the other day on Facebook, this song the other day. I've listened to this version many times. It's one of my favorites. Uh, but I was reminded about it when I found a great, uh, a, a great new soundboard version uh, with video that I had never heard on YouTube before. So I posted it online and, and asked people to comment on it and see, see what they thought of it, if they thought it was as good as I do. Uh, as I do. And I got a lot of great uh, comments on the thread that, that followed. And that's actually what kind of led to the idea for this podcast is, uh, is everyone kind of chirped in with what they thought and if they agreed with me on it or not. And it just became really, really interesting. So, you know, then a, a podcast is born. So hopefully we can uh, find a way to, to keep that type of interactivity going and maybe I can include some of your comments. Uh, online in the show. I really don't want to do that right now without your permission from, from what was posted. But I'll mention some of the comments you left range, anything from, you know, were, were anything from uh, that you agreed with me, that it was a, one of the best losers you had ever heard and your new favorite loser, or it was just a, another one of many and not really that special or notable and you shared your thoughts why or another one you liked better. So I thought that was really cool. And, uh, you know, it'd be cool. I didn't, to be honest, but it'd be cool to, if I had time to go and check out some of the versions uh, that, that you thought were better, and maybe that's something we can do on the show, too, on the podcast. So to me, this, uh, this, whole, this whole Grateful Dead show and this version of Loser is really stellar, but in particular, the Jerry solo jam section of The Loser is, uh, is just a case study in what set the, uh, sets the dead apart for me, or set them apart uh, with, with Jerry. So at its core of this jam is one of the best guitar players in the history of the world on a tear. And he doesn't, uh, a tear he really doesn't get too often. He's so, you know, Jerry's so interested in conveying the melody and conveying some really clear phrases. He doesn't often just really just let it rip like a Santana or a Hendrix or Jimmy Page would. 
Uh, and, and I call this the Jerry Solo Jam, though, because it's not, uh, it's not just a solo for a reason I'll get to in a second. Uh, but, but his soloing aspect of it is, is really strong in it. So first let me start by saying uh, his distorted tone on the solo announces itself, as it often did when he played, uh, in a really dramatic fashion. He flips the switch on the guitar to access the, the effect chain. And if you never got to see Jerry live, uh, that moment alone really, uh, it could bring you know, like chills to your body knowing what was about to, what was about to come after it. Uh, just the way he reached for the switch, his body language, uh, you know, maybe a little swagger or a glance up at the audience. Uh, maybe sometimes he'd like push his glasses up on his nose if, his, if they had kind of slid down from sweat after he flipped the switch right before he started playing. So e each movement really added up to kind of a display of intention that you knew he was going to really, really, you know, come up with something wild. And of course... It was not always the case in the mid-'80s uh, or in, in other phases of his career, but, in, you know, in the early 80s and then in, in the 90s here, uh, various stages when he was, you know, on a comeback trail. It was really like watching, to me, I'm not a huge sports guy, but I get, you know, Casey at bat, the concept of there's this huge home run hitter who's coming up at this clutch moment to the plate, and, and just the way he chewed his tobacco or, you know, taps his cleats or, or his bat to the ground or looked up at the pitcher, you just knew in his mind there was a there was a chance you were about to see something really exciting happen in the world, and of course, uh, you know, with Jerry, we often did. That was often the result. So here, here he's on a mission not just to convey the melody, but to almost uh, really uncharacteristically fill in a lot of the space between uh, the, between the, the the main notes of the melody with some really super fast and aggressive runs. Uh, you know, really blazing stuff, while at the same time, uh, you know, he milks the sustain of these key notes to convey this clear, concise, uh, concise phrasing inside of that. And it's the type of genius, really, he displays. It's hard to process, even as a musician who has, has tried to appreciate what he does for years, it's hard to process and understand sometimes as it happens. He seems both so in control of what he's doing and yet the results of it seem so out of control at the same time, and it's really, it's, it affects your brain, or it does to, to me. So, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people, a lot of guitar guys, oh, I love the guitar, I love guitar players, and they'll pass over Garcia sometimes, or it takes them a little bit longer to get into him rather than a, like a Jeff Beck or a Santana or a Jimmy Page, someone who's coming at him really strong, uh, because Jerry wouldn't often just, just go on a tear like that. And this is the kind of playing I really wish they would hear. Because if, you know, I love Jeff Beck, but if you hear this playing next to Jeff Beck, you realize, oh, the bending and the, the, the manipulation of notes and the free. Uh, Jeff Beck is fantastic, but Jerry Garcia is just a master. And he just was not, didn't seem concerned about constantly displaying it in, in a way that it was recognizable. Uh, he seemed more just interested in finding new ways for himself to search out for it that he could find and share. And of course, we were a very patient audience and, and letting him do that and make make the mistakes and the, the you know kind of the dead ends that he did sometimes but uh so but, but it really seemed a part of the joy of his playing is that he knew he could you know not at will or at any time but that there were these moments that uh he, he could just step up to the plate and, and and that's what happens in this jam i think so uh and then as he starts the band really starts to contribute but uh he, you know, some, some people don't like the busyness of Mickey's, Mickey's percussion, and, and I get that, uh, but this is a perfect example of why I do. And as much as Brent and Jerry shared a, a connection, uh, you know, that, that vibe they had on stage that everybody knows about, you know, you could often see Jerry and Mickey do the same thing. 
uh, Jerry would look back up at Mickey, and Mickey was just so psyched and energized to play. And he looked down at Jerry. They make eye, can't, eye, eye contact before or during a show in the middle of a jam or whatever. And there was that same thing, this, this kind of subtle nod and acknowledgement between each other that it almost felt uh, like they were suggesting that they were going to connect or maybe reminding each other that they should seek these moments where they do. And so here in this song, as Mickey starts to add his fills in response to Jerry's licks, I can really see that happening in my mind. It's like I, I picture, you know, I visualize that happening. I could see Mickey just shoot a look at Jerry as he strikes his tom and Jerry kind of trying not to smile or chuckle in response, but not being able to, to help it is, you know, and then his guitar playing would elevate in response. And, and really, but clips short, and we discuss them as we are doing here. We can, we can hopefully get away with playing some music here without the uh, Ice Nine Publishing or whoever it is uh, coming after us. So here's a clip of uh, Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead playing the song Loser in Albany, New York at the Knickerbocker Arena on March 24th, 1990. And we're just about to, you know, Jerry does run through the, uh, the chords of the verse and uh, this, this is the result. So let's take a listen. Okay, so if that doesn't kind of get you excited, you are listening to the wrong podcast because, you know, this is a podcast where people hear that and just get all giddy. So so uh, first thing I notice in that is, and, you know, listen to it again or whatever you need to, you know, whatever you heard there. Uh, Bob Weir in particular really seems to be the most patient and willing to just kind of hold down the fort while the others explore a lot. Uh, but his, his creativity at the same time is really at his prime. You know, a lot of people put down his rhythm playing. If you hear it isolated, it's boring. But this is really at a, at a point where uh, he, you know, he he was playing some cool lead figures underneath Jerry. And when I would first hear the Dead on tape when I was young and would first hear him, I was trying to understand what was going on, and I would often mistake what Weir was doing. It was so in sync with Jerry, I would often mistake it that it was part of what Jerry was doing. And it took maybe you know a certain amount of time, years or whatever it was, a certain amount of time for me to really fully separate their guitar playing and I was surprised to hear that it was Weir who had been doing so many of these cool melodic figures that I had given Jerry credit for. So, you know, what I'm trying to say is he's doing that here. Even if Jerry were not playing a solo, you could listen to what Bob was doing and it would be its own melody and and have its own interesting content. You know, people get down on the Wolf Brothers, oh, he's boring lead player, but 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 listen to what he's doing alone. Anyway, he's he's really the most patient. He's not trying to be out of. He's really holding down the fort, kind of as I said. So, um, and and one other thing too about where he's kind of loud in the mix here, which is kind of weird for for this phase. I, I'm pretty sure this is a, a phase where we're used to hearing him, you know, more brought back in the mix. I recognize this is a soundboard, so the levels could be different or whatever. But I've heard both the soundboard and live versions of this particular. Uh, show and he is loud in the mix for it so it's really cool to hear him uh, holding down the fort kind of and then being creative at the same time all right so between Brent and Phil 
if you didn't hear or listen again, they each really seem to be on a mission to, uh, to just kind of unseat Garcia. They're really just each taking their turns knocking at him or, or playing melodies where, where a lead guitarist would be and, uh, and kind of trying to knock the king from the throne in a way. Uh, they're, they're like jabbing at him with timing and throwing surprises at him uh, to, to seemingly get Jerry to like alter his course. And, and so often in a dead jam, that's what happens. Jerry will stop and listen and there will be these, you know, but uh, this is different. As they're doing it, Jerry just keeps going down the line on his mission. So it's really cool to hear that, that happening. Uh, Phil, really noticeably at the start of the clip, does a melodic run right alongside Jerry. Uh, and as usual, uh, throws in a surprise at the end of it where he doesn't stop when it reaches the end of the phrase. He just continues into the next phrase, which is just as much of a run in melodic. So, um, and, and Brent then throws in some really off-time accents, really loud. To, uh, you know, I don't know, like, what's his mindset? I don't know. I'm trying to, like, bug Jerry. I'm trying to, I don't know what it is. But it's really cool anyway, and it's, it's very short, so very tasteful. Uh, and it ends up, it doesn't distract Jerry very much, of course. He's just, I mean, full throttle uh, going down the line. And then Brent, Brent responds, like, the last chord, if you hear, the last chord before they hit back into the vocals. Uh, it's an A minor chord for you musicians. Uh, Brent is just full throttle on that chord, just hitting it in all these different rhythmic variations, but not really letting up on it. And uh, and it uh, it almost, it, you know, with everything else going on, the drums are rolling at that point, and Weir's finally starting to take in more space and, and come more to the front, and Phil continues his sonic assault. And at the, So it almost really ends up burying Jerry in the mix. And again, that's both live and in the audience mix. Uh, but Jerry, even though his his volume is getting buried, he just stands firm in what he's playing and continues to shred almost like more furiously in response. And, uh, I mean, really just burning the place down. And uh, if you get a chance to hear the audience version, please go search that and look that up because the, the response from the audience is really chilling when they hit the end of it. So as much as I love to hear Jerry dominate when he played, I really love these moments too when he would get buried. Because, you know... At a certain, what starts as like a kind of a gentle assault from the other members becomes so intense. It seems to uh, Jerry almost disappears beneath it for a moment, but then like an opening happens, and you hear he's just still tearing it away underneath there. Eventually, like reemerging as the dominant voice. So the whole thing in this loser really comes together uh, for like a complete climax at the end. That leads back to the vocal course of the last fair deal in the country. So often the dead would, uh, you know, they weren't worried about hitting the full climax or even. Seem, they seem to want to avoid it sometimes just to, to find a new path. But this time they all really lined up and, and kind of took the same way home, and, and the result is uh, it's a stunner. So, uh, you know, it, it, it's the kind of... There's always a, a wide variety of uh, opinions among deadheads, but this is the kind of version that really can reach a consensus that, uh, that it's good, even by people who, who like different eras of the dead. Uh, and, and it also... You know, this would serve when I was going to shows, when Jerry, when Jerry was alive and I would go to shows and, and wondering who, who could you convert, who could you, who, who doesn't know this music, who would be interested in hearing it. Uh, this, this type of jam would serve as really as a bellwether. If you play this for someone and they didn't get the beauty of this type of jam, then there's not really much reason to try and convince them to go to a Grateful Dead show at the time because, you know, if, if you didn't get the feeling that it creates, then there's really not much at a show that was going to happen that would, you know, that would give it to you or, or show you what they were about. So, uh, you know, it, it just really holds all the, the, the elements 
of the dead that make the dead special to me. And I'm not saying that, that, that it takes the place of like the jazzy songs or the Bobby Cowboy songs or Drums in Space. I'm saying when they sounded their best to me, this was the type of group playing that made them unique and really could uh, get them to those moments that only they could reach. So, uh, you, you know, I understand completely people like other areas, eras and like the other shows better. To, but to me, I came in right at the start of the Brent era. So these were the, the type of moments to me that, that really captured to me. And, uh, you know, even at that time when I listened to tapes, uh, there was such a more intense spark w with Brent playing than there was with maybe Keith. or That that was the way I thought it should go. Because I thought like, oh, that's the 70s stuff is done and they were trying, but now they found this guy and they've really hit the key. And th these are the definitive versions. And, of course, I learned along the way there are no definitive versions. But, but to me. Uh, this is, you know, this stuff really rocked my world back then and, and still does today, obviously. So, you know, for those who prefer Pig and Keith and the Vince series, I think your tastes are as valid as mine. And I'm, I'm actually interested in what makes those shows special to you. That's part of why I want to do this, too. So if you get a chance, you know, I'm going to put up a Facebook page for this, for this podcast. Uh, head over there and, and let me know why you would prefer a loser with Keith on it. And, and I'd be really interested to hear that. So anyway, uh, you know, that's it for this show and, and for looking at this loser anyway. I don't know. Maybe we'll look at more songs on this from this show uh, next time. We'll see. But if anyone has a show that they would like to hear me talk about or kind of deconstruct uh, one of your favorite shows or one you think is great or terrible, you know, just po uh, post your suggestions in the Facebook group again. Hopefully I have that up by the time this, this airs or it will be soon. And that's it. So we will see you. Uh, we'll see you next time on The Heart of Town. That's the name of the podcast, and I'm your host, Kerry Cohen, and uh, we'll see you then. Thanks so much. <laughs>